0: it is good to see so many of your entire faces at the first in a long time masked optional service. I just want to be really clear because I see... A lot of non-masked faces. I'm so happy to see your faces. I just want to reiterate that masks are optional, which means um, if you would like to wear a mask at this or any other gathering we ever have, you will always be welcome to do so. People have uh, different vulnerabilities, different circumstances, and so there's absolutely no no judgment on that whatsoever. Uh, So just feel free to do whatever is most comfortable in this service. So if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. The rest of us will be having a ceremonial mask burning after the service. And (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It'd probably be a really well-attended event now that I think of it. Um, Let me take a moment to pray, and then we're going to jump right into a new sermon series together. Precious Jesus, Lord, we love you, and we love to gather together as your church. We acknowledge that this isn't just some friends together in a room, but this is a sacred assembly gathered in the presence of the Most High. We acknowledge your beauty and your wonder. We're grateful, Lord, that we are in your presence now. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us um, faith to that end, a sense of expectation that you would come and move, continue to speak to us during this time. Lord, through your word, songs that we sing, prayers that we bring to you, Lord, however it might be, we want to be open to your voice in our lives in this moment. So, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And we ask with all the faith we can muster now, Lord, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in this very room, just like it is in heaven. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, it's really good to be with you. Uh, I don't think I said my name is Aaron. If we haven't met yet, I would love for you to come up and say hello to me after the service. I would love to meet you. That would make me very happy. We're starting a new series today called... A gentle answer, uh, this from Proverbs 15, verse 1. Let's go ahead and look at that one together. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I'm 15 seconds into the sermon. I already need to call a timeout. Timeout for just a second. Guys, don't you dare run past these words as if they're just another cutesy Sunday school slogan. If you're a church kid and you're like, yeah, I've heard that one a few times, I've probably got a bookmark with that on it. And you run past it because it feels like another Ned Flandersism, and you don't really meditate on what it's saying. I'm just saying, pause now and recognize these words for what they are, which are like paradigm-shifting, world-changing words with incredible significance and importance. Don't be so naive to turn this into a slogan because this matters big time. Let will give you a quick example. You may have read this in the news. I think it was just a week or two ago. An elderly gentleman makes his way into a Dunkin' Donuts. He is in a very foul mood. He causes quite a stir and uh, says a lot of offensive things. Among them, a racial slur. A person of color approaches them, dares him to say it again. He says it again. The guy punches him in the face. He falls over dead. There is nothing gratifying about that story. Every part of that story is tragic and deeply unsettling. And just one gentle answer would have turned away wrath. And yet there was harsh word after harsh word after harsh word, which revved things up and let like if this is a don't run past it, it's life and death. Guys, wars could have been stopped. Wars could have been stopped if we took this more. Seriously. I mean, how many of you don't tell me because I know it's all of you have been in an argument and then afterwards thought, oh man, I've got this horrible mess to deal with now. And if I could have just said this and not that, if I'd have just said this and not that, we'd have been on a completely different trajectory. We'd be dealing with a whole entirely different situation now. Why did I say this and not that? And I also think, I don't think this is a stretch at all. I think we need this now more than ever. I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think it's over. I think now more than ever. Let me read you a quote. This is from a pastor um, who I appreciate. His name is Scott Salls. He said this, For many years now, I have grown increasingly perplexed over what feels like a culture of suspicion, mistrust, and us against them, whatever the subject may be, politics, sexuality, immigration, income gaps, women's concerns, race, or any other social matters over which people have differences, angst, suspicion, outrage and outright hate increasingly shape our response to the world around us. Isn't that true? That's true. Nod your head. Come on. You have to agree with that. If you don't agree with that, then you're just a total idiot. You see how quickly that can happen? <laughs> if you don't agree with me completely, we're going, we're going to hundred real quick. See how that happens? And you know why that is? Because we are now more than ever in an outrage culture. You think that's right? An outrage culture. And I think connected to that, I, th- I think we've lost any sense of proportion, you know? Because in an outrage culture, any failure or perceived failure, it makes no difference, any failure or perceived failure, regardless of intent, intent doesn't matter, regardless of intent, is treated as a high crime. High crime. Give you a quick example. I was dropping dropped my daughter off at school. And as you exit the school there, um, there's not a second lane for people to turn right, but the lane's kind of wide, and if people are thoughtful and they scooch way over to the left then you can just make room for people to sneak by on the right. And when you st- it's easier to turn right you know, than to turn out in traffic left. And that's just like a kind, thoughtful thing to do. And so most people typically do that. Well, um, one morning, I was not being particularly thoughtful. In fact, I was, I was singing real loud, real, real loud, a lot of questionable notes. And that's just where I was that morning. I was not being thoughtful. And I forgot to like scooch way over to the line. And man, this woman <laughs> in a not all-terrain vehicle hopped that curve, jumped, got right next to me in the grass. And dude, she leaned and just unloaded, screaming, top of her lungs, red-faced, veins popping out of her neck and her forehead, and she's spitting, red-faced. And I don't, I can't read lips, but I think I know most of the four-letter words, and I'm pretty sure she said all of them, (laughs) like some of them (laughs) several times. And And I remember thinking about that later, and I thought, bless her heart, Like, where does she go from there? I mean, where do you even go? She went right to 11. Like, what if something like actually bad happens to her later in the day? Where does she have? Her head's just going to explode because she has nowhere else to go. We've lost all sense of proportion. Molly Crockett, she's a a Yale psychologist, but you don't have to teach Yale to know this. She said, if everything is outrageous, then effectively nothing is that's true. We're all just up here, man, all the time, all the time. And as a result, more and more people are just brooding through their increasingly miserable days. And we just say this about that. And look, man, you can dismiss me as a religious quack. You can be like, okay, another frou-frou religious nut. There he is. And you know, so be it. But I'm telling you right now, guys, I can feel it. I can feel it thick in the air. I can feel it walking up and down the aisles of Target when there's absolutely nothing happening whatsoever. It's thick like humidity. It seeps into your skin. It is animosity. It is angst. It is contempt. And it is in our air like never before. I feel it. There's a lot of things to blame for this. I'm gonna gonna focus my blame on a couple of things in particular here, and maybe I'm right that those are the two biggest pieces of the puzzle, maybe I'm wrong, maybe we could make a better list than me, but a couple of things that really stand out to me that I think are feeding this uh, are social media and 24-hour cable news channels. And I think them and a bunch of other factors that I'm not even smart enough to identify are, they are fueling a full-scale rewiring of our brains like for real. And it's a massive cultural shift that I don't think can be overstated, but here, I'm going to try to overstate it. Um, I think it's turning billions, with a B, billions of people into junkies. And you might hear that and go, all right, look, I know preachers are prone to hyperbole, but that's the next level. <laughs> that You are really overstating that. I, look, maybe, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm going to kind of tell you where I'm coming from on this, but so stick with me. But we, we live in a world that is telling us that we should be outraged by everything. Listen very closely. I will tell you why. It is because they have figured out how to commodify your hate. That's why. Um, Dr. John Perkins said this, this generation is the first to turn hate into an asset. Have you ever heard this uh, term? It's very true that we live in an attention economy. So the idea is, um, if people can grab your focus, your eyeballs, your attention, then they can turn that into cash, okay? It's an attention economy. And in that economy, outrage is an incredible asset because you get incredible laser focus when people are furious. They dial in, they focus like never before, they lean in, and so they have commodified, they have commodified your outrage and your anger, turned it into an asset. And, hey, man, if we're all just going to be outraged, maybe we should be outraged about that. Don't you think? And let me just say this. I'm going to be honest. I, you know, here's, here's the thing. Um, the irony is not lost on me that I am trying to make you outraged about the fact that people are always trying to make you outraged. <laughs> like, I, I, I know. I am doing that. Okay? It's not even subtle. It's obvious. Let's state it. I'm doing that. But in the midst of that, I'm saying, well, okay, maybe we shouldn't be outraged about all of those things. And maybe, and maybe, because anger is not a sin, maybe we should be at least a little bit outraged about this, about your attention and your rage being turned into an asset to be cashed in. So Let me explain to you kind of how this works, okay? And you can take it or leave it, um, but you're going to have to stick with me for a second. This isn't like hard to understand. If you pay attention, you'll get it, but you will need to pay attention for the next couple of minutes. So zero in and surprise, surprise. I hope you pay attention. But um, here's the first thing. Anger is a very, very powerful emotion. It's just very powerful. And, um, you know, smart brain scientist types have figured out that anger is actually uh, triggered at the most basic parts of our brains. It's called the limbic system. And our limbic system controls these functions that are absolutely key to our survival, things like fight or flight. And the thing is, you don't control your limbic system. It's more like your limbic system controls you to some extent, at least to some degree. And when your limbic system reacts, it's almost in real time. It's so fast, it's almost instant. And you actually don't get to weigh in. Let me give you sort of a brutal illustration for that. If you walk in on somebody pummeling your children, then you don't choose anger in that moment it just happens you don't in that moment go okay shall i respond with outrage or shall i respond in a calm and resolute manner how will i proceed no 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 you just you're furious now that's your limbic system you don't weigh in it gets triggered and in a situation like that your limbic system in order to respond to that your body gets flooded with a couple of very powerful chemicals there's a lot more that goes on but here's a couple of things that do goes on it floods your system with adrenaline Flood your system with dopamine. Let's talk about both those things for just a second. Um, adrenaline. When when you have a flood of adrenaline in your body, it makes you power up. All right suddenly what happens is your body is smart enough to redirect your body's resources into your muscles in case you need to fight or run away very, very fast. This is why people sometimes perform incredible acts of strengths when they have a flood of, of adrenaline strengths that they wouldn't have at other times. It's because their body's resources are being redirected toward their muscles. Now, listen, part of the way your body redirects those the, that, those resources from is from your brain, because your brain is the most resource-hungry part of your body of the calories you burn in a given day are burned between your ears by your brain. And so if your body needs resources, well, let's pull some from the most resource-hungry part. So now you're angry, you're not too sharp, and your muscles are stronger than ever. That's what adrenaline does. And if you've ever had a major flood of adrenaline, maybe after a car accident or something, you know that in the aftermath of that, the result is just deep, deep physical exhaustion. So there's adrenaline and there's dopamine. Dopamine is kind of what regulates the reward system in your brain, it makes you feel good. Um, It's also like highly addictive. So um, there are lots of things that you, if you hear of something that is an addiction, there's a really good chance that dopamine is really what's regulating that in people. So like the runner's high, you've ever heard of that, um, that's dopamine. You know, so you run eight miles and your body is completely exhausted and suddenly you feel good. It's your body saying, thank you, exercise. I've been waiting, do more. Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) Is that, I thought that was a myth. (laughs) No, it's a thing. It's a real thing. It's called the runner's high. It's dopamine. It's your body saying, yes, more, good. Illicit drugs, uh, I mean, uh, they work in all sorts of ways, but most of them are just ways to trigger dopamine in your brain. You go to a casino, those blinky lights and bells at the casino, you know what? They are perfectly designed to give you a steady dose of dopamine so you keep your butt in that chair and you keep feeding quarters into that machine. And hundreds of millions of people are addicted to social media because it is brilliantly designed from the ground up to give consistent hits of dopamine. And the list goes on and on and on. So listen, let's let's put some of this stuff together. We're in an attention economy. And if you're outraged, they have your attention like never before. And attention sells. Man, does it sell. So they are looking to mass produce that commodity. The more they can produce, the better. But here's the thing. With outrage comes adrenaline. With adrenaline comes poor judgment and impulsivity and regret and exhaustion And also with that outrage comes dopamine and with dopamine comes addiction. And the net result is more people are addicted and angry and exhausted and filled with regret. And it's on a scale that I can't even fathom. I tried. I can't even fathom it. And what we all of us need to see right now is, guys, that's not an accident. It's intentional It is by design. It is carefully and deliberately designed to that end. Of course, it's not just social media. It's a lot of other things. Let me ask you a question. I've sort of wrestled with this one before. Why is Rachel Maddow so angry every night? Is it because the word mad is in her name? Is that why she's so furious every night? Or Or Tucker Carlson why is he so outraged I mean livid every night I always want to call him Carlson Tucker is it because he has two first names that he is so angry I don't or Wolf Blitzer why is he I always assumed it was because his name was Wolf that's got to be a tough go is that the deal But then it's all based on names, but Sean Hannity seems like a pretty normal name, and he's furious all, I mean, every single night, just head exploding, livid, all of them, every single, why are they absolutely incensed every single night? I mean, I think you know, right? The truth is, it's kind of simple. It's their job to be outraged. Everything, and they're very well compensated, by the way. You should look it up. The numbers are eye popping. You know why? Because they're the best in the world at generating outrage. And man, does outrage sell! It's by design. And they know, ooh, anger is so contagious. Ooh, is it contagious? But it's not just outside factors that we can look to and say, what is that about? What about you? I don't have anybody in particular in mind, but I'm not talking to like nobody in the room. Why do you keep doom scrolling your timeline and and updating Twitter and refreshing your news app again and again and again? Why do you keep doing that, looking for bad news that only makes you feel worse? I I don't know why, but at least in some cases, it's because we're addicts looking for another hit of dopamine. And yeah, it does make us feel worse, but it also kind of makes us feel good. And then the fact that we now feel worse means we need another hit of dopamine all the more. Did you see the cycle? And I'll just state the obvious here. You guys know this, but man, did the pandemic fuel this thing. Ooh. I mean, a lot of people had time on their hands and some controversies to chase. And nothing fuels addiction like idle hands. And the fact, I mean, I, it's, like, it's a laugh or cry, so I'm gonna laugh. The fact that we had a pandemic and an election at the same time on the mushroom cloud. Come on. So, obviously, there's a, just a remarkable convergence of events that have made this kind of a unique time in our history. And by the way, let me say something over to the side. I like when I make side notes, I come over to the side. Just off to the side. Um, you should watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. You should. If you don't have a Netflix account, look to your brother and sister to the left and ask for a password. Come on. (laughs) They got a seven-day trial. Make it happen, people. Just watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, and it it reveals a whole bunch of things, and we're not chasing conspiracy theories. It's not one of those deals. It's just facts, but one of the things that highlights, that is highlighted by that, that is so incredibly profound, is that this is all done with machine learning, by the way. It's not like there's somebody with an evil intent who's, you know, programming the AI to be particularly grumpy, but the truth is, Every significant social media that you've ever experienced is controlled by this automated AI system, and they just look for what works, what gets eyeballs in the attention economy, and the machines have figured it out. Negative stuff really works, so let's pump them up, let's pump them up. The last I saw it was like by a ratio of 11 to one, the system will automatically emphasize negative posts and comments compared to positive posts and comments. Why? Because that's what goes viral the most often. That's what gets attention, and it's an attention economy because attention sells, and as a result, we are force-fed controversy and rage on a scale that is totally unlike anything the world has ever seen. And the world, guys, you know, is furious. The whole world, furious. People just running around, living in all caps. All day, every day, all calves angry and exhausted and addicted, filled with vile contempt. And in all of that chaos, I mean, it's a stew, man. We are in it. It is a stew. And in the midst of all of that, the word of the Lord, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Harsh word stirs up anger. Guys, listen. <laughs> um, Jesus gives us this beautiful invitation to be peacemakers in a world like this. And we just, we just can't be peacemakers if we're controversy junkies. We just can't. And the way of Jesus is just so beautifully and dramatically and radically different from anything I've been talking to up to this point. Let me, let me read you a verse. This is a good verse, and I like all of them. But this one, wow. Okay, you ready? Ephesians 4. Verse two, always be humble and gentle. Let's stop and check in. We're all nailing that one. We're all doing great so far. Batting a thousand, great. You're all batting a thousand. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Remember when we did that? Remember that? Making allowance for one another's faults. It's not a thing anymore, but it used to be a thing. Do you remember? That was great when we made allowance for each other's faults. Right now, in an outrage culture, making allowance for one another's faults is called being complicit. But in the Bible, it's called being righteous. Now, why would someone do that? It just—it says right here, making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. Because, because love. Because we serve a God who is love, who has redeemed us by love, and we are saturated in it because of love. Let me read you another verse, a couple of verses here, 2 Timothy 2, 23 to 25. And let me just tell you, I'm a preacher. It's my job to expound upon scripture. I don't know what to even say to make this any more clear than it already is. So I'm just gonna read it probably twice. Here we go. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Pretty clear. Anybody feeling? Conv- no, keep your hand down. Anybody feeling? Conv- I mean, what would social media even be if we followed? It would go black. I think it would just all. It would pull the plug if we couldn't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. Verse twenty-four: A servant of the Lord—that's us. I hope must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Do you know any difficult people? Don't elbow the person next to you. You didn't nod. If you don't know difficult people, I can introduce you to a few. We'll, say a, we'll just say a few. I know some. I can't expound on it. I'm just going to read it again. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone with whom they agree with politically. That's not what it says. It just says everyone, and then it stops. That's the end of it. Be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Again, Proverbs 15, 1, a general answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I just don't think it's ever been more needed than it is today. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, it feels like that. And also, I am not sure that we have ever been less equipped to provide for this ever-growing need than we are today. And I'm just gonna be honest, I'm gonna level with you guys, and just I'll make it personal, I'm just, I'm so tired of hearing conversion stories. And you might go, you're like a Christian and a preacher. Don't you love conversion? Isn't that like the thing you celebrate the most? Not all conversions are good. I'm hearing people who are being converted to a different way of thinking, a different way of viewing the world and it's wicked. So here's the one I've heard the most, although I've got others. The one that I've heard the most kind of goes like this. Pastor Aaron, can we talk? I, I don't know what to do. My my parents they taught me the fruit of the spirit. I know the fruit of the spirit because they told me over and over and over again. And they're the most gentle and loving and kind people I have ever known. But for the last few years, they just hate watch the news every night and they are bitter and they are brooding and they are filled with contempt and frustration and I can't even talk to them anymore. That's a conversion. That is a conversion from one way of thinking to another, from one worldview to another. And I've heard so many conversion stories. Like, my best friend, pastor, what do I do? They're like my best friend, and they think I voted for the wrong person. And I don't know, maybe I did, but whatever. They won't be my friend anymore. Like our kids are friends, and they can't hang out. My kids are asking me questions. Why can't I hang out with so-and-so anymore? It's apparently because I voted for the wrong. That's a conversion story. That is a wicked conversion story and I could go on and on. And you, have you guys you heard some of these stories? Have you? I think you have. I hear them a lot. Tired of the conversion stories. Psalm 37 verse 8. This one's great. This is a good one. Real clear. Here we go. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. And do not lose your temper because it only leads to harm. We could do an open mic and each of you could come up and tell a hundred stories each about times that you or someone around you lost their temper and sure enough, every time it only led to harm. So I think we could probably agree, right? With the instructions here, stop being angry, turn from your rage, deal. Here's the thing. I'm just going to give you all the benefit of the doubt and I'm gonna assume that 100% of us agree that that would be great. If we all, let's all just do it. Okay, we'll all do it. We'll stop being angry, turn from your rage, ready, break, let's go home, Close in prayer. I'm gonna assume that, and then there's probably two in here your, your, and they're like, ah, anarchy, okay, but whatever. I'm just gonna assume all of us are like, yes, that. Here's my question, let's say we all agree can we do it? If you chose right now, could you, actually, could you do it? Do you have the capacity? Is that a choice that you can actually make and then carry it out? When you lose the capacity to control your own choices, that is a vivid sign of addiction. Addiction. I'm not sure we just, I'm not sure we can. not saying all of us. Maybe a couple people will say, I'll be darned, I'm going to turn away from anger. Done. But for some of us, ah, it might not be so easy. So if we can hear the word of the Lord and agree upon the word of the Lord, but we can't quite carry it out. What's the next move? Well, like with everything else, we'll look to the text once again. This time, Philippians 4. Surprise, surprise. Verses I love. Six, seven, and eight. Here we go. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Let's stop and check in. We're all batting a thousand on that one. The thing where you worry about nothing and pray about everything. Wouldn't that just fix it? Okay. Anyway, love that. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. If you ever, by the way, and we taught about confession a while ago and repentance. And if you're like, I don't have anything to repent of. Okay. All right. Um, don't worry about anything. (laughs) Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, Hey, there's this thing where if you sort of shift your focus and you become a person of prayer, then your heart and your mind will be guarded You'll be led toward peace. Sounds nice, doesn't it? And your heart and your mind, and listen, your heart and your mind, I think desperately need guarding because I think your heart and your mind, as I've illustrated, I hope, with enough clarity earlier, are under a constant, unrelenting barrage of negativity. Like I said, it's the air that we breathe. It is seeping into our skin. It's every day. It's a stew and we're in it. What a beautiful notion that your heart and your mind would be guarded. It's like, yeah, become a person of prayer. Do you actually get that? And then verse 8, and if you don't hear anything else, guys, hear this, because if we're saying, I'm not sure I could just turn the anger off, step one, here we go. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If we're looking around going, I'm just, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could just decide to turn the anger off and just see the world differently, but maybe I can't. Here's step one. Garbage in, garbage out. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the text is saying, if you choose prayer over ruminating throughout the day, brooding in the stew of outrage and controversy and contempt. And you move that instead toward prayer, then there's this peace that will guard your hearts and will guard your minds. And if you, if you actually choose, you make, a, you make a, a deliberate choice to focus your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise, then there's a shift of your focus and you start You start, it won't happen overnight, you start to break a cycle of, I don't know, maybe addiction. If you're a church kid, you'll know the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let me tell you how this has worked out for me and David, you can come help us out, man. Um, Because I'm only gonna talk for an amount of minutes from now. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Let me tell you how this worked out for me. It's a couple years ago. Actually, it'll be two years this fall. Yeah, two years this fall. Um, I, you remember I talked about conversion stories, the bad ones? Here's the thing. I used to like be the last person to ever get angry. <laughs> And people would be like, seriously, Aaron, do you have a pulse? Like, we're all like pitchforks and like, let's go. And you're just, come on, do you, what's wrong with you? Sometimes, by the way, we'll get there. It's a four-part series. Sometimes anger is what you should have. We'll get there. But like, I was like the last person to ever get angry to the point that it annoyed people. And then, uh, but I was okay with that. And then I realized two years ago this fall, I thought, you know what? I'm definitely nowhere near the first person to get angry. But I've got it right here if I need it. I can get there. I, I got it with me. If I want to access it, it's right there. And I was starting to access it a bit more. I started to realize. I've always got it right nearby. It's kind of like the, the uh, Incredible Hulk quote. What's, what is it that the guy said? My secret is I'm always angry. <laughs> is that Don't get angry. I'm always angry. It wasn't quite that. But it was always there if I needed it. It was always there. I thought, I don't. That isn't, I don't like that. I need to change that. And so, it's what I decided to do and I'm not at all telling you this is what you should do. This is not, I don't have a verse, it's not prescriptive. But I've never looked back. That's when I decided, eh, I'm done with social media, I'm off, out, never looked back. (laughs) You know, here's what I decided. I decided that's what was good for my soul. And I got some advice and talked to some people. Do you think I should do this? And some people said, you know what? You're a pastor and you've got a platform. And when you talk to people, like you're always encouraging online and you like share verses and stuff. and like, that's really good. Like you can serve your congregation by being on social media. And I thought, you know what? That's right. That's true. I have no rebuttal. But I think the most important way for me to serve our congregation is for it to be well with my soul. I think that's more important. So I kind of did the math and thought, man, this isn't good for my soul. Maybe that's what you decide, maybe not. I mean, who knows? My wife, for example, she did the math a little bit differently. And she was a little less tied into things and she wasn't feeling that shift in her spirit the way that I was as we talked about it and kind of prayed it through together. And the connections that she made on social media were really important and she's by no means addicted. And so she just decided, you know what? I'm, I'm I'm gonna do a little bit different conclusion. I'm going to make a vow before the Lord that I will not spend more time consuming social media or the news than I spend in prayer every day. She just did the math and goes, you know, I need to be mindful about what I'm submersing myself into. I'm going to choose to submerse myself in things that are vicious a lot less and whatever is pure and holy and honest and just of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. i it memorizing a different translation than the one I read to you from earlier, but that's the same verse. <laughs> think on these things. I'm making, I'm making a choice. I'm going to saturate myself in something. It's going to be, as Paul told the Philippians, it's going to be prayer. And it's going to be what's pure and lovely and good. That's at least step one to break the cycle. I'm going to say one more thing and look, you guys. (laughs) I don't, I mean, you got to be sick of hearing it, but here we go. I'm never going to stop. I'm never going to stop. I'm going to figure out how to say it next week. So here we go. Guys, step one, not just for this, but for every believer. Step one is to set aside some time every day A time and a place, a time and a place. You decide on a time and a place every day to be with the Lord in prayer, to open his word, to allow it to read you as you read it. That is the very center of whatever is pure, holy, honest, just, good report. If there's any virtue, if any praise, think on these things. And I'd love to say that that'll do it. Now, here's the thing. That is the number one keystone habit. It will change your life more than anything else can. I'm telling you, it's step one. I I now will admit to you, I have been discouraged at many times along the way by the amount of Christians who've been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and have never consistently taken step one. Take step one. But here's the thing. As I think I've illustrated before, it is a constant barrage on your heart and on your mind. And it's early in the morning and in the evening and throughout the day we've got to stop and be still in the midst of a cacophony of contempt and vile rage and think on the things of the Lord break the cycle and I'm just still talking David you're playing beautifully can I just tell you you know what's outrage culture bad but here's the thing man does kindness stick out Mankindness goes a long way right now. It's powerful. That was it. I'm not going to say anymore. We're going to have Selah as we do every week. Selah is where we take a couple of minutes uh, to pray on our own, to try to make these things as personal as we possibly can, to let them kind of sink into our skin. And So I'm going to get us started in a time of prayer, and then there'll be just some stillness in which you can pray on your own. Let me get it started. Lord, we invite your Spirit to speak to us. And I'll say in this service, as I said in the last, I'm pretty familiar with the folks in this church, and we're not a bunch of rage monsters just looking for a fight. That's not the vibe around here. I probably wouldn't come. That's not the deal here. And probably the great majority of us would say, you know, I'm not hate watching the news and I'm not just looking for a fight at every turn that's just not the way that I am and thank God for that but maybe Lord if we were to look back maybe we turn back the clock five years five years ago do do we have a greater access to anger and the Bible says to be slow to anger do we have a quicker trigger toward anger than we did maybe five years ago maybe a little bit more familiar with bitterness, maybe a little bit more familiar with contempt and frustration and angst. Maybe it doesn't rule our days, but maybe it has a place it didn't have five years ago. And if we're walking with the Lord, I think we could acknowledge we should be moving away from those things and not toward those things. And if that's the case on any level, we have to say we're not just unaffected. We're not just unaffected but there yeah, has been impact at the stew that we're swimming in. So, Lord, we give space now to hear your word, to hear your challenge, to move away from anger and rage, to begin to meditate and focus throughout the day on what is pure and good and lovely and true. Holy Spirit, come speak to us, Lord.